0: So the levels are pretty good, <coughs> pretty loud. Get my jacket off, I'm sweating like a pig. Oh you? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> and your, um, <coughs> your sniffing is excellent today. Have you got a slight cold or something? Oh,
1: no, I, I should be. So I'm sniffing, sweating. So all sorts of materials are coming out of me.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that mental picture for everyone <coughs> listening.
1: So we to edit that bit out. Aren't
0: no, you? I'm going to leave that bit in. I think. Um, oh, you yeah, know, he who has the edit has the power. Or mm. well, the pen is the power, as I tell my brainstorming students. Absolutely. So Rob, we are in the um, we're in the chapel on on, on the Chichester site, which is uh, novel for lots of reasons. Yeah. Not least of which is, although I've worked here now at the university for uh, just over five four and a bit of years sorry not five at all four and a bit of years um this is the first time I've stepped foot in this lovely architectural
1: marvel really really interesting design in both situations we're closer to god aren't we so number one we're in the number one we're in the chapel and number two we're in the we we we're, we're, we're closer to headquarters where the power base is so um
0: well, yes, we are close to the power Godly base.
1: proximity.
0: Uh, yeah, proximity to all sorts. Um, uh, luckily, our listener base is quite low still, so we, we, we might get away with that comment. But, uh, yeah, we don't often come up to the frozen north um, of Chichester to, to explore what's going on, um, but here we are. And today, we were going to discuss standards, standards at a, from an educational perspective, um, and as you said to me earlier um, while we were having lunch, uh, you accused me of having a bugbear about it, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, just as I had a bugbear about foraging and the learning and teaching around foraging. But,
0: but your, your, your view on foraging was, was not necessarily a bugbear as such. It was a, a kind of an impassioned uh, provocation to do things slightly differently. Yeah. Whereas I guess I am probably a bit more wound up about standards and the way they're being used uh, some kind of control some kind of measurement some kind of device Mm -hmm. by um, by not powers here as we've sort of alluded to but powers elsewhere possibly in Whitehall possibly in the Institute for Apprentices possibly in the Department for Education yeah somewhere in those those lofty places in the even further far north of the frozen lands of, of London and Whitehall I guess yeah so, yes, I, I would probably with uh, with reluctance agree that it is a bit of a bugbear and it does increasingly
1: play on my mind a little bit. Hmm. <clears throat> one of the questions I had uh, in thinking about this is the what's the definition of a standard? When I not sort of rifling through my, my dictionary, on the one hand, standard is something along the lines of you know the flag, the, the, the around which to follow. You know, the kite, the the, the brightly coloured flag around which your mar- your army, or, from which your army towards the, your army marches. And then the other definition is this sort of sense of the average, a bit like um, Alistair Campbell talking about bold standard comprehensives. Yeah. What do you think it is?
0: Well, I think in the context of uh, of me and the context of me being wound up about it, it's it's as a sort of um, a, 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 the bog standard, mm. and I think it's about um, trying to get some kind of compliance to a bog standard um, outcome um, of a particular type of programme. Now, for the benefit of listeners, et cetera, who might not be so aware of... Uh, the use of standards in higher education we've seen them appear because of the um, development and delivery of degree apprenticeships. Degree apprentices have arrived at universities for the last few years and like many universities around the country we have a range of degree apprentices and degree apprenticeship programmes um, and they attract a standard and they attract a standard over and above what we might be more familiar with from the qaa in, in terms of um, qualification descriptors and um a, a really lovely expression <laughs> benchmark statements
1: <coughs> yeah yeah subject uh, benchmark subject yeah.
0: benchmark statements and as i look through the, the standard we're we're given to deliver our degree well when we're not really supposed to talk about it in terms of being students and degree, we're supposed to talk about it being delivering an apprenticeship. Um, those standards, I think, have, um, have got some issues. Some issues in terms of um, how, we, how we do actually measure our students, uh, some issues in terms of how we deliver content that relates or provides students to attain the standard. Um, and in a more practical way, how useful are those standards to students when they've left? Yeah. So I don't think it's I don't think it's the the former of your example. I don't think it's about following a flag. <coughs> I think it's about trying to. Um, I think the intention from those people in White Whitehall is much more a. Uh, this is this is what bulk standard looks like, and this is what you must achieve. Mm. Um, and one of the issues, I think, in, in terms of using it as a measurement, goes back to what's in the QAA, and the way they talk about um, qualification descriptors. You know, we have this idea of a typical, what students would typically achieve, and mm-hmm. what students would achieve at a threshold level. Yeah. And that seems to be relatively helpful in the, in the language they use. And yet the apprenticeship standards I'm really familiar with, which is the Chartered um, charter Manager Degree Apprenticeship, um, doesn't have such helpful language, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really,
1: really challenging. For, for me, where you... So, for example, the subject benchmark statements... Aren't quite sort of descriptive around which you can then work and put some form of pedagogical philosophy into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas, what I've seen of the apprenticeship standards of the level one, level seven um, apprenticeship that I'm working on, it, it reads <clears throat> like something off a, off, off a uh, Chinese takeaway menu. There are lots yep. and lots of different separate, almost like atomic dishes to, to be served up. Very little attention is given to how do they how do they come together? You know what is the meal that we are actually creating, <clears throat> and what is the actual uh, sort of mealtime experience? Mm. So it's that lack of that holistic thinking that that I find that I find frustrating.
0: I, I, I share that frustration. <clears throat> I think what they've, they've done, and I've looked at the, um, the senior le- leaders, the, the M level, the level seven standard, and one thing I, I'm, I think is more useful is they've left it at a relatively uh, relatively short
1: yeah. menu. Hmm.
0: We, we carry on with the analogy of menu. Where, where I struggle with the CMDA, the, the charter managers degree level six, Standard is that they've not only done that menu uh, at a sort of loose level they've also given you an additional uh, Annex uh, uh, Annex 3 one, one, one I'll remember until the day I die where they've broken down the menu and provided you with a list of ingredients you must also provide
1: Oh gosh, and, I didn't
0: realise that uh, <laughs> No <laughs> and it, it, it sort of goes even further away from providing students with this sense of what the overall experience Mm. is uh, and drives (coughs) them down a a route of very specific, usually you will provide this, you will evidence you can do this, Mm. you will evidence you can understand (coughs) or uh, some of the words they use, evidence you have knowledge of Mm. and and other languages they use, you will be able to. And you, you kind of think, okay, that... That can be useful, but how useful will it be in the future for our students five, six, seven years into their degrees? Um, I was reading uh, the Economist had a uh, they had a special issue uh, back in January about lifelong learning, All right. and there was a very very short piece in there about the perspective the Germans have taken on apprenticeships and lifelong learning in 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 business in some businesses, not by all means uniform, but in some businesses they've they've moved away from this sort of very prescriptive you all know how to do a, you will know how to do b. And they've sort of said, you will be engaged in lifelong learning. And actually, it's not about teaching someone to be able to do one thing (coughs) time and time again in a very repeatable, very reproductible kind of Mm -hmm. sense, but actually to turn them into lifelong learners so they can reproduce the experience of learning and acquiring new knowledge and acquiring new skills on a (coughs) continual basis. So rather than the expectation that we send a manager to an organisation where they... Have done the, their degree apprenticeship, and they've um, uh, they've demonstrated they can manage budgets, mm. and they've demonstrated they can produce a spreadsheet that uh, <clears throat> illustrates how a budget has been spent and and balanced or not balanced, etc. Um, they are teaching people to question the wider context of what they need to find out at that yeah. particular moment in time in order to understand why the budget does balance or doesn't balance at that moment. Yeah. So we, we seem to be at risk, I think, um, in developing these standards and developing the the menu list approach and then the ingredients beneath the menu in simply setting people up to do something for a relatively limited period of time.
1: It reminds me of, <clears throat> in a past life, I used to work for the NHS, and I had a meeting with uh, the chair of the Royal College of Anaesthetists. And it was to do with particular job and role profiles. And uh, I remember him saying to me, he said, well, of course, the, the, the uh, definition of, of somebody who is competent, really competent to be an anaesthetist... Is when they have that ability to work off script, when a series of events occurs for which it is not written down in a book, but they know what to do. They can work into that, into that field of the unknown, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's what I think. You know, we're training our apprentice, apprentices up to do. So, on the level seven, the uh, the, uh, the level seven M- uh, MBA that I run, <clears throat> a lot of the situations that they will be working in now in this rather uncertain age you know is that uncertainty and I'm not sure how a how a long list is necessarily particularly is necessarily helpful
0: I, I I think you're absolutely right this this idea of um dealing with uncertainty this idea of dealing with ambiguity and some of the issues we've talked about before uh complexity and all the VUCA kind of stuff creep in here you know how 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 do we actually write a standard and write a prescriptive list of cri- they call them criteria in Alex free how do we write a prescriptive list of criteria underneath that standard heading that is useful in the long term it might well get our students past that endpoint assessment mm-hmm. moment the the interview moment the the submission of your portfolio as, as apprentices have to do but What's it do in four years' time? What's it do in eight years' time? What's it do in 12 years' time? I, I, really, I really worry about that. Mm. Um, your example of the anaesthetist is really, really helpful. Diving into the detail of what I've got in the, the CMDA, for example, and I, I kind of chose this area because it's one that we're very familiar with, is there is a, a criteria. Evaluate a range of leadership styles and models to include inclusive leadership absolutely precise and prescriptive. Now, as you sort of unpack that, we get into all sorts of questions about what is style? What is leadership? Is leadership process? Is it style? Is it behavior? None of that's discussed in the criteria. None of that's explored in the criteria. And then we have this conundrum of inclusive leadership. Now, I'm not sure I could Stand in front of a group of students and say precisely what that is. Mm. And yet there is this expectation in the standard that it is a defined and very clearly articulable thing. And yeah. I don't I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um if you you know you you might have done more than me, but my experience of inclusive leadership as a thematic area is relatively limited, but there is relatively limited material around it. Yeah. And what I found is very prescriptive in terms of the context and setting it's been talked about for example education Hmm. there's lots of inclusive leadership stuff in education but that's not the primary sector that most of our degree apprenticeship students will be heading into. It yeah. seems to be really quite naive on one hand <coughs> and specific on another hand
1: in a very unhelpful way. It, it implies a knowledge field that is undisputed and as we know, just look at Billsbury's, Bilbury, Billsbury's work, you know, he points out that with leadership there are, you know, there are huge numbers of different perspectives and views on, 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 on the subject. One, one thing I became really interested in um, some years ago was Ian Cunningham's work, who did a lot of work at Roffey Park and has gone to uh, Lancaster, I think he's retired now, but this whole idea of self-managed learning. So if we were to take standards out for a moment and mm-hmm. say, actually, to those learners, actually, it's up to you to closely define what your standards are, but by the way not only are you going to be defining what those standards are, you're going to have to explain why and what it is about you that is, and your own particular context. So you're going to have to map out Mm. um, what's really important, why it's important, how are you going to show that you, you are going to learn. So what you're doing there is you're creating not only people who have learned, but you're creating people who are skilled at learning and also diagnosing and areas to move into that are that are, that are important. Yeah. now from a subject benchmark statement perspective, even just from that broad that, that broad brush, it does pose problems, but you can I think you can get around those problems by sort of loosening up that sort of that sense of say and and, and, and trusting num- number one the learners but also the faculty and also the other learners that are part of that social group to provide a a context and a situation that provides both the, the, the support and the challenge to make sure that learning mm. is is there it's happening and is being evidenced yeah and i i wonder whether that's that's the
0: possibility or the option you have a little more of in the level 7 standard than I have in the level 6 standard where we have this ingredient sub list Mm -hmm. of of the actual individual menu items. Because I think for for the level 7 standard, if you can take those headings, which are, you know, the the wording, I think, if I remember rightly, are only sort of longish sentences. Yeah. If underneath that heading you could encourage the students and develop the students as part of their work-based practice to say, these are the criteria that I'm meeting within this standard. And then you yeah, know, whack that on the table in front of this endpoint assessor, whoever it ends up being in their shiny suit. Um, I think you've got a better opportunity of preparing students for that mm-hmm. that for that need, that critical need of of being in control of what they do and what they learn. Yeah. in
1: the future I think there's also something else that's this important is if you look at the sort of pathway or even life cycle or whatever you want to call it so you've got these uh, carefully, carefully crafted standards uh, it first of all hits us in preparing the courses and you and I have both been in that role of writing courses mm. Secondly, about how it comes to preparing uh, the sessions for the learners. Thirdly, about how it manifests itself in the classroom with the students. And then you know, next along the line is, how do, they manifest, how do they bring forward their, 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 uh, their learning in whatever form of assessment? And I think the thing you said earlier that was really important, <clears throat> three, four, five years time, how much of it's going to be of use to you? So I think that sort of life cycle mm-hmm. of, the, of, of the standard is something that I think is important, but I don't think necessarily, has, I can't see that, that the thought has been given to that.
0: No, I, I don't think the thought's been given to that. And I, I, I think that sort of brings me on to my other great concern or worry about the standard in the sense that when we're putting together a programme and a course, there is a perpetual process of review and evaluation. Yeah. Um, and it might well look at look like in some institutions that there are kind of, programme level reviews every year, sort of annual monitoring type things, or there might be a periodic review, or you might have a QAA inspection coming up, where you're naturally engaged in that process of ongoing reflection and review about what you're doing at the courses. But I'm not sure what that is for the standard, and I'm Mm. not sure how the standard can keep pace with the world and how institutions and universities and FE colleges who are delivering degrees can keep pace... With the world and the development of a standard as time, in a in way you put it, the life cycle unfolds and develops. Um, I think that's really problematic, yeah. and it's more problematic the more specific you get about those items and activities. Um, you know, we were talking as we walked up the road um, about knowledge management. You know, so, some, and I think. F- In a reasonable way, some would say that knowledge management was a fad that really kicked off in the 1990s and early 2000s Mm. and has really become much less talked about. So you look at some of the content of the standard, look at some of the words of the standard, and I can't help but read them and go, is that a fad? Mm. Is that someone's individual bugbear? And the example I mentioned earlier, this idea of inclusive leadership, Whilst in itself I'm not challenging the notion, but is it just a is it just a result of someone's particular faddish interest at the point where a group of um, people in shiny suits have sat around the table and gone, this is what we must have in the standard. Yeah. I was at a validation <laughs> event uh two two, three weeks ago, and we had a representative from industry there, and it was fascinating observing the difference between their commentary on the course that we were validating, and there was two. There were two academics of which I was one from from an external perspective, and our perspe- and our approach in terms of what could be in the modules, hmm. and the industry rep was being very precise and very specific about what should be taught, and both myself and my colleague from uh, from another university in the midlands were just saying well hang on a second let's think of a way of putting this where particular issues and ideas and topics can be discussed but you don't need to write down in black and white in a module descriptor that you are going to be delivering x next week because it might come and go there might be something else that overtakes it we were particularly talking about agile this idea of being an agile organization now i i find the idea really interesting But how long is it really going to last? Is it going to be around in 10 years' time, 15 years' time? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the whole notion of being agile means it sort of overtakes itself. Hmm. I don't know. But as soon as you put in black and white in a standard, you will deliver this and you will show evidence of this, fine. It might be good for a year or two. How do you change it next year? How do you update it in three years' time? Not
1: particularly agile.
0: Well, ironically, you get that... Absolute paradox, where you can't shift things on that
1: quickly. Yeah. One of the things that I'm just moving on from that. One of the things I'm conscious of is that here we are, we're talking as two hard-pressed educators, um, <laughs> you know, despairing of people in shiny suits. So let's uh, put our us uh, put, put our let's uh, put our shiny suits on for a moment. You know, what what would it be like if we were a policymaker? If, if how could we write standards that were more helpful, that would be better? I think
0: that's a really good question. And I uh, and I suppose my starting point would be to say what was there in the first place. And I wouldn't say for a second that it was perfect. But the subject benchmark statement was a, was a st- starting point that was sound, mm. had some ambiguity in it that allowed for that kind of um, pedagogic stance that institutions take or business schools take or whatever, but also would allow you as, uh, let's say, an employer sending in your 20 students to a university for their degree apprenticeship programme to say, well, actually, for this particular cohort, I'd be really interested if you could do something that focuses a little bit more on. Yeah. And that... Uh, That place is the trust. And the word you mentioned earlier, trust, I think is really important. It puts the trust in the organisation, the university, and the organisation, the employer, to actually respond to what's going on, but leaves things open, leaves open possibilities on the table Mm -hmm. in a way that's far more, I think, constructive for the country as a whole than saying, you must deliver this. Your students must be able to evaluate a range of leadership styles and they mm. must include inclusive leadership in this. Okay, fine. Yeah. What's that drive? That drives behaviour that's a session that says, this is inclusive leadership, write that in your assessment. Yeah. Tick, you've met the standard. And that that idea of taking those benchmark statements seems to have been completely ignored. When When I look through the standard and the assessment plan for the CMDA, there's there's a sort of a scant reference to it, you know. It's sort of oh, well, those people at the QAA have produced this. We don't trust them. Yeah. We don't trust the universities. We only trust a relatively small group of employers to provide contribution towards this. And I, 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 I'm I'm fascinated, and I've not sat down and done a full corporate finance due diligence uh, research program on the on the employers around the table. Mm. But the employers around the table when, when the trailblazer was set up and the standards were created are, are fascinating. The, mm. the people on the list are really interesting businesses ranging from Serco, the, the, the great yeah. um, public sector um, private service provider who have rather moved from being an employer contributing to the standard to being actually a provider of degrees now. So in a, in a way we've got possibly some questions to ask about their conflict of interest of being yeah. a one hand employer and one hand actually benefiting from what they've created to the other hand where there is a public sector organisation on there called a uh, Civico who um, are a private company wholly owned from, Bur- wholly owned by Birmingham City Council. Okay. Now intriguingly in 2016 the CMI, also Trailblazer organisation, were lauding CivicO because they had been created by Birmingham City Council who were undergoing huge budgetary pressures. CMI were publicising them and saying how fantastic it is. We've got the private sector involved in public sector delivery. It's going to be great. They're now wholly owned. Da, 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 da. 2019, we move on, and we, we see Birmingham City Council... Uh, are suffering from a £9.5 million deficit directly as a result of that private company's activities and behaviours. Really? And yet they are seen as being valuable in terms of their desire to have apprentices in the workplace and their knowledge of what employers want to be around the table in their shiny suits. Yeah. Uh, You know, yes, organisations have bad moments. Yes, organisations do bad things. But we seem to be wedded to what this group of people have said at this particular point in time, and their track record and their experiences have to be questioned a bit Mm. more critically than saying, oh yes, you deserve a seat at the table. Um, The other businesses that intrigue me, we we have um, some very, very diverse companies from engineering through to retail, but I, I can't help reflect on the inclusion of One Stop. One Stop. What's One Stop? One Stop are the small retailer who have lots of corner shops oh, under franchise. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticising One Stop as a company. I'm not criticising retail as an activity. But then there's another partner, also in the Trail Group, called NISA, N-I-S-A, who do exactly the same thing. They yeah. have small corner shops. Why have we got two employer representatives from exactly the same sector, in exactly the same market space? Yeah in a, In a business area that is hugely troubled and hugely under pressure what where's the diversity in that? Yeah. how do they both deserve a seat around that table if we 're trying to get a mixed economy across
1: the bag yeah. <laughs> across the bag it doesn 't make much sense it, it reminds me of of uh, some work i in my previous life uh, <clears throat> about setting up standards and the importance of setting up standards so they can be um, adequately um, interpreted on the ground floor. Mm. You know, if you over-specify, it it atrophies. It atrophies things. So the the skill of a policy maker is creating that level of ambiguity which one feel has to feel comfortable about, mm. and having those conversations to say, okay. You can't control everything, but you can control at least some of the conditions in which something beneficial can flourish. Mm. And that, and that's quite a, a sophisticated, um, something quite sophisticated for a group of policymakers. It, it requires for them to trust each other, to feel as if they are being trusted by the government and by other people, um, and to be w- accepting that sometimes things will go wrong. Mm um
0: i i I think that issue of trust and i think that issue of tolerance of failure and things going wrong are at the heart of this problem Hmm. we we have in our programs um some programs do not have it um some programs have what's it called an integrated endpoint assessment um where the standard is i think Potentially less um, rigorously imposed on universities and colleges delivering mm. the, the degrees, um, but the idea that uh, the, the Institute for Apprenticeships doesn't trust the university who's, who have got um, all the um, processes and procedures in place to award degrees and higher degrees, um, it's, it really seems strange and it seems uh, it seems out of kilter with, with the position where, at one hand, a university can give a, uh, a very highly technical medical qualification to someone and say, you're now a doctor, you can go out and work in the NHS or in the private sector, um, and we've given you this degree. Uh, and on the other hand, um, we don't trust you to actually deliver a degree to managers and, and administrators mm. without a separate
1: Mm.
0: A hurdle to get over yeah. now I know you know medicine is something that requires a lot of professional standards stuff as well on top of that so it's a really bad example mm. I think but it does I think hopefully helps us think about this issue of trust and just think well why can we do one thing and why are we not being trusted mm. to do another thing from mm. a university perspective I find that quite
1: odd can I just so if we've given policymakers a bit of a hard time can, <laughs> 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 Can I just sort of uh, raise one other thing that, I've, that I find quite intriguing? <clears throat> so this is this particular aims at sort of people who are at level six in their high, you know their last year of undergraduate, um, and also a masters level, level seven. And it's this, it's, it, and it's for me, it's this issue about when you're working with a student, perhaps on a project or something or a dissertation and you're working into an area of what you might call the unknown. So it might be to do with research methodology, it might be to do with a particular area of, of, of knowledge. Sometimes I wonder, uh, when I'm talking about something with a student, introducing new ideas, how useful it is. By that I mean how useful, or how, they get, how the student is going to take that up is going to require for them to do a lot more reading, a lot more synthesis and analysis, in order for them to take the next step in being analytical, critical and evaluative that's essentially a level seven, mm. in order to make some form of bringing it together and gaining new knowledge. I sometimes wonder about the helpfulness of standards in that very, very sort of intimate interaction with somebody mm. in their process of of creating new knowledge for themselves, but also for other people.
0: Mm. I, I, I would agree with that. I don't think that there is the formal words in the CMDA standard that would support that. Mm. I think you'd have to work really hard to find anything in that, that annex one, the actual standard itself that would help you. And you might be only because there's more words. You might find something in Annex 3 that encourages that kind of perspective. But I, th- I, I would agree with that. I think it's, mm. it's hugely problematic. And the language is loaded. Mm. Um, you know, the language is really loaded at level 6 in terms of using phrases like evaluate. Okay. no, There's not much use of the word critical mm. at any point in the standard. Um, uh, there's some expressions like be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and demonstrate, uh, and those those seem to be the sort of words that appear the most. Now, I, I'm not sure there's any sense that students should be critical or begin to synthesize things together because of the you know the the, the race to the ingredients, mm-hmm. the race to the ingredients in a way that says, you know, demonstrate you can manage your budget produce a budget yeah okay no no exploration about what an appropriate form of budget mm. would be based on whether you're working for a, you know, a massive engineering company or your family manufacturing business mm. that's you know only got 10 people working for them yeah managing a budget would be very very different in those different circumstances and yet we we we're not asking a student to reflect on that and actually synthesize those different ideas about what budgetary control will look like and produce the appropriate thing. It's not. I don't think it's there. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Or I'll qualify that. If it is there, it's really well disguised in words that I haven't quite unravelled yet.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the other thing about personal reflexivity you know your your ability to ref, re- reflect very carefully on your actual learning journey so if it's about mm. outcomes it's not about the journey the, uh, the journey that we we we're, we're talking about getting there
0: I, I again i think that's a really good point and i'm i'm just flicking through that hence the rustling because you very large file on this 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 thing this is uh, <laughs> this is not just on this it just happened to be a copy of the standard i had in a different file oh. but You know, it's an interesting section on behaviours required. Right at the very end, um, the way the CMDA one is sort of set up in terms of there is knowledge, then there is skills and behaviours, and then there is this section, behaviours only. Um, And I'm just wondering if there's something in there that would kind of relate to what we've just been talking about. Oh, agile appears, of course. Um open to new ways of working and new management theories. Yeah, it's one bullet point in amongst about mm. 75, I think. Mm. Yeah, what's, that, what's that really do and how does that really allow us to draw our attention to that? Maybe that's the priority. Maybe actually, rather than the knowledge and skills bit, we should start with behaviors required and that should be the, the basis of the standard.
1: Yeah, that, that is, there's a greater emphasis on that on the level seven, I must say. Mm. I feel as if I've got off lightly.
0: Well, by all means, have a look through. I mean, it's it's very useful and yeah. it's got lots of numbers on it. Um, and in some ways, it's useful as we manage the programme because it means that software providers and you as students and us as academics can structure things in a way that allows people to say, yes, I have produced this budget um, yeah. and it does meet 7.1.2, 7.2.3, tick. Mm-hmm. So pragmatically. I can see the benefit in contrast I wonder why we've ended up here in the first place and for those degrees that don't have um, additional EPA's endpoint assessments for those degrees have got integrated endpoint assessments as part of the degree I am very jealous I'm very jealous because I think by having an external EPA we are adding cost time and bureaucracy to something that doesn't seem to need it except in the eyes of those people in whitehall in shiny suits who don't trust anyone else Mm. or by and large don't trust (coughs) anyone else So, you know those sort of themes are the ones that are revolving around my head about how we actually deliver how we actually develop and how we actually provide some kind of useful material useful experience to students which is ultimately for me the, the the heart of it and hopefully we can meet those other things as a byproduct, rather
1: than a foreground, um, you know, priority. Is this a rather gloomy way to finish a podcast?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's that gloomy. Uh, I think um, I think it is. It's probably a good time to end. And hopefully um, we haven't been talking too much jargon for for people.
1: Yeah. So what? Um, What's what, what's the uh, our next episode about? Uh,
0: the, our next episode is our last in this set of six, and is going to be talking about teaching and working and learning with um, international students. Yeah,
1: yeah, and a very interesting subject, I think. It'll, I, Absolutely, I it is.
0: I think both of us have had our um, had our experiences of teaching international students, so hopefully we can explore some of those issues and use some examples and uh, look forward to that next week